19-3108, District of Minnesota, United States versus Adon Flores Laganas. All right. Mr. Hagler, please proceed. Thank you, Your Honors. Um, may it please the court, Tom Hagler representing Mr. Adon Flores Laganas. Um, starting with the first issue, uh, the Terry stop and suppression issue, uh, it's our position the lower court should have excluded all the evidence collected as a result of the illegal stop and seizure. Uh, police were not justified in conducting a Terry stop because their suspicions were based on a mere hunch. Um, what the government describes... But was there even a Terry stop when he just drove off? Well, I think that's what's at issue here, Your Honor, is that uh, it initially began with what would have been a Terry stop, but because Mr. Uh, Flores Laganas was provoked into flight uh, by the police not properly identifying themselves, they weren't all wearing um, police uniforms, and they were they came at him with their guns uh, pointed at him, uh, which provoked him into flight, um, and I think. But if you go back to their first uh, reason to stop him, they didn't have articulable suspicion. They had a hunch, and I think the government well, described that. To Judge, Judge Grunder's question, I think, is, is interesting. Was a stop actually, did they actually stop him until after the accident? Uh, they did not stop him until he ran off the road, uh, Your Honor, and... Uh, but they attempted to stop him, and I think that's what provoked his flight. And and uh, what wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Why wouldn't this be analyzed from the standpoint of the justification of evidence obtained after the uh, accident? Um, he, well, we're we're looking at it as a fruit of the poisonous tree uh, argument, Your Honor, where. But anything you have to have a stop first that yeah that, that they that the initial reason that they tried to stop him for was that i mean in, in the government's brief they say that his van looked strange or odd i mean that just that's describing a hunch your honor and and the fact is that they tried to stop him because point, he was the, the only is, hispanic in the lot the point is does it really matter whether it was a hunch or not at that point, given that there was no Terry stop until, until much later when we can consider all the traffic violations and all the other reasons that they could have pulled him over. Well, I think there is a high risk to the public in the actions taken by law enforcement here trying to do this takedown in the middle of a crowded shopping center and you know, that's, if a the that's a different question. That's a policy question rather than... Well, if the government's question. position is that, you know, the police can come at you and point their gun in your face and then not identify themselves, and, and then you drive off and commit some minor traffic violation, then they have a reason to stop you. I think that's, uh, you know, that's problematic, and it shouldn't be, it, it should be deterred with, by the exclusionary rule. Counsel, this is Judge Logan. What's your best case uh, supporting this uh, uh, provoked flight theory? Well, the, um, let's see, the case, uh, the Wardlow case is, 
is sort of the inverse of this, right? Where they were in a high drug area and the suspect ran off unprovoked. And I think, you know, the inverse of that is this was not a high drug area. This was a shopping center. And, you know, if police are going to be able to provoke people into... Have you got a case where provoked flight, provoked flight was deemed to be a stop, a, a Terry stop, and then and then uh, uh, evaluated for lawfulness. Um, Your Honor, I did not find a, a case okay. that was. I'm not aware of any, I'm, and you know there are always there are always new theories uh, emerging. I just wanted to know if you had found anything. Thank you. Um, so I think that without reasonable suspicion. Uh, they shouldn't have even tried to stop him, and all the evidence should have been excluded. Um, but uh, moving on to the other issues, that um, we had a, a motion to dismiss was essentially handled by the court as a motion for reconsideration, and I think the court erred there when it viewed his motion to dismiss as, as just a reconsideration. Um, the court... You know, the lower court reasoned that the issue had been raised, and but it, it actually had not been. And if you go through the initial motion for suppression, it never mentions false testimony or police perjury or any of the new issues that were raised by uh, my client's uh, second appointed counsel. Why, why does the court's characterization of the motion make any difference? What's, uh, is, there, is there a different standard you, you argue should have been applied? Or did he just have to say, deny motion to dismiss, and if he didn't say that, he made reversible error? Uh, well, Your Honor, I think it is an error to just not even consider the, the motion to dismiss in the due process context. And that's what the court did. They, they just said, oh, this is a rehashing of the suppression issue, and didn't even look at due process. And I think um, it's a denial of due process when the government allowed false evidence to come in and go uncorrected. And um, there was uh, the first case this morning had a similar issue where uh, the court knew that there was, or the, the government knew that false evidence was being introduced in this suppression hearing and they failed to correct it. Um, and then for the court to just ignore that. Uh, was, I think, a, a reversible error. Um, and there are several factual uh, uh, areas that that are provably or demonstrably false based on the video evidence that we have, and I, and I filed that with my brief. Uh, the video, you know, shows that um, that uh, not all the police had uh, police vests on. Some of them were wearing plain clothing. Um, you know, the, the police... Uh, how, does that, how does that help with perjury? Well, I think there were a number of just of false statements put into evidence by the government, and they failed to correct it. And, and it was there were a lot of false statements just that were obviously false looking at the video evidence that we have. Um, that uh, you're going to have to be a lot more specific than that to, to okay. be persuasive. For example, 
Um, the, there was the testimony that uh, Flores Lagones um, committed a felony by nearly striking an officer on foot with his van. That's false. We can see in the video that there's a car in between the van and the police officer. It would have been impossible for him to commit a felony in that manner. Um, another police officer testified that all the law enforcement officers were wearing police tactical vests. That's false. We can see that in the video. Uh, police claimed a white substance was being thrown out of the van's window. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence to support that. In fact, there's more evidence that suggests the whole thing was made up. Uh, you know, one, no substance was ever re recovered. Some of the police admitted they weren't sure whether he was throwing things out the window or not. A police canine dog was brought in and went up and down the highway, didn't find any drugs. I mean, that's, to me, should be pretty definitive that he wasn't throwing things out the window. I can't imagine an issue that's less, that's more immaterial. It's what, hap it's what happened after the, the, it doesn't matter what was thrown out the window, uh, other than it was incriminating. But he, well, he then rolled down the embankment and fled. That was, that was what triggered the, the arrest. Well, my client also is claim, has claimed in his filings that uh, the police lied about these uh, bullets and gun magazines being found on his person. He said that wasn't the case. That didn't happen. And I'm saying that there were other falsehoods. Did, did, he, did, he, test, did he testify? No, Your Honor. Well, so then <laughs> this is not an example of false, of false testimony. Um, if uh, if I could move on to the the third issue, Your Honor, the speedy trial. Um, you know, my client sat in jail, pre-trial incarceration for uh, over four years, um, and you know, yes, there were motions made to um, exclude time and for continuances, but as my client has claimed in later filings, he said that his first attorney did those things without his consent or coerced him into consenting. And those, those delays were basically, they were caused by his first attorney's medical issues and personal family issues. Um, and they weren't caused by the defendant himself, you know, um, but the biggest concern here is the joinder of the co-defendants, which reset the clock multiple times. And, you know, this jockeying for position, resetting uh, his clock multiple times by adding defendants at the last minute was unreasonable. And, you know, maybe technically we didn't go over the 70 days in the Speedy Trial Act, but I think it violates the spirit of the law and it violates the, his Sixth Amendment right to a speedy trial. Um, and I think, you know, there, there are four factors in the, the Doggett case. Uh, they're, fa they're favoring my client's claim, you know, that the delay was uncommonly long. The government is more to blame for the delay. Uh, Mr. Lagones, Flores Lagones did assert his right to a speedy trial and he did suffer prejudice as a result and the Eighth Circuit has said that a 37-month delay is presumptively prejudicial. 
Was was there specific prejudice in this case, as opposed to presumed prejudice that you can point to? Well, the absence of evidence or a witness or the like. Well, Your Honor, with such a lengthy and oppressive pretrial incarceration, Mr. Lagones felt compelled to plead guilty so that he could begin his appeal process. And I think, you know, somebody sitting there in, in, in the county jail and being shuffled around and these competency things, which he never asked for. I mean, I think, you know, he, I think that's the reason he wanted to fire his first attorney was even was asking for a competency evaluation. And that delayed his case another, you know, two, two and a half years. I mean, and um, I think that was inherently prejudicial. Him not knowing, you know, his fate, being shuffled around in these different uh, facilities without, you know, um, I think that caused him, sort of coerced him into pleading guilty. But um, I, if, if there's no other questions, could I reserve for rebuttal? Certainly. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hagler. Mr. Buzicki. Good morning, Chief Judge Smith. Or Ms. Buzicki, excuse me, I'm sorry. Please not apologize. Not I, I, don't, I don't have your visual in front of me, so I, I uh, misread your first name, so please excuse oh. me. Do you, are you able to see my video no, now? No, right now I'm just looking at a circle with KB on it. Oh, I apologize. Um, should I uh, log out and log back in? What would the court prefer? I can hear you just fine, so please proceed. Yes, Your Honor, I certainly will. My name is Kate Bizicki, and I represent the government in this case. I'll begin by addressing the first issue raised by the uh, defense regarding the parking lot events and the subsequent arrest of Mr. Flores Lagones. There was no stop in the parking lot in this case, as uh, Judge Grunder has correctly pointed out. The officers had decided to make an arrest, and when they did so, uh, Mr. Flores Lagones uh, sped up, collided into the Jeep, the unmarked Jeep, and sped away. When he did so, he began flight, which this court had, or which the Supreme Court has said is a consummate act of evasion, and in the manner of his flight, he certainly gave rise to probable cause uh, to arrest under Minnesota state law, uh, as the district court found. But there was probable cause to arrest him before then. Um, as the record in this case reveals, there had been an extensive, approximately two-month-long investigation into drug trafficking in southern Minnesota. Numerous individuals had been identified. Uh, there were fo recorded phone calls involving cooperating individuals. And at this stage, law enforcement's goal was to um, locate and identify the individuals who were re uh, responsible for drug transactions. Mr. Flores Lagones himself directed the cooperating individual to the parking lot as a place for the drug transaction to take place and chose that site specifically um, as opposed to a uh, motel that had been the earlier site for the planned transaction. The officers observed a number of things that gave rise to suspicion. Uh, Sergeant Schuler, who was considered an um, experienced narcotics investigator specifically testified that he saw strange movements of the vehicle. So it wasn't simply that the vehicle was strange, it was the behavior of the driver, uh, and that was Mr. Flores Lagones. There were also interactions between individuals in the parking lot on foot uh, near vehicles that were known to be associated with the drug conspiracy, 
entering and exiting stores as planned as part of the transaction. All of those facts gave rise to probable cause to arrest in this case. And then obviously, uh, as the high-speed chase and um, subsequent on-foot chase um, uh, ensued, there was additional probable cause to arrest Mr. Flores Lagones. So with no stop um, in the parking lot and um, with a ample amount of probable cause relating to both the narcotics investigation and the events of the high-speed chase, this was a uh, lawful arrest and the subsequent search um, was lawful and in accordance with this court's precedent. If there are no questions related to that issue, I'd like to briefly address the motion to dismiss um, for alleged police perjury. The defense counsel has raised a number of statements um, or actions that he believes constitute false statements. And simply put, the record in this case reflects that the officers testified in a measured, accurate, and truthful way. And the video in this case provides only a limited window into uh, any of the events in the parking lot. As this court is well aware, videos can show facts, but they don't always show the entire picture. And that's precisely the case with this surveillance video. Review of the video shows that the uh, vantage of the camera is impeded by items like signs and even uh, the car itself impedes uh, a full view of what happened in the parking lot. And critical incidents uh, in that parking lot are covered by those impediments. So the video is simply additional evidence, but it doesn't in any way controvert the testimony of Officer Green and Sergeant Schuler. And I'd like to point the court um, to the transcript of the pretrial motions hearing in this case. On page 39, there is the uh, question about whether the officers were wearing um, marked um, uniforms or what kind of um, gear they had on. And the um, testimony um, is, uh, I believe they were. I know at least two of them that I saw immediately were wearing them. I can't for sure say all four were, but they were wearing marked. And so again, that officer's testimony is measured. It is not overselling or misrepresenting what he saw. He's attempting to recall an answer to a question and trying to provide accurate information. There is no false testimony in this case. And again, the government presented evidence in support um, of its contention that, this, that the events in the parking lot and the subsequent high-speed chase uh, created probable cause um, to, or excuse me, uh, at the district court level, reasonable suspicion, but we believe the better argument is probable cause to arrest Mr. Flores Lagones. And um, unless there are any questions regarding that matter, I will next turn to the final issue in this case, the speedy trial matter. Um, Mr. Flores Lagones has uh, asserted that he is, his speedy trial rights were violated both res with respect to the Sixth Amendment and the Speedy Trial Act. While it is true that there was a long delay in this case, that delay is well accounted for by an extensive pretrial um, proceeding involving his competency. Both his counsel, the district court, and the government were concerned about his mental health and well-being for various reasons. His counsel alerted the court to threatening or menacing um, actions by Mr. Flores Lagones in their own interactions. The government offered um, incidents in which Mr. Flores Lagones made a um, motion looking like um, cutting someone's throat at a witness at the pretrial suppression hearing. 
And the district court itself observed Mr. Flores-Lagones respond in a completely nonsensical and troubling way at a pretrial conference. So the order for a competency determination was absolutely um, appropriate. And it goes to what the Speedy Trial Act tries to accomplish, which is balancing the public's rights and the defendant's rights. The defendant has a right not to be tried when he is mentally unwell, and the public has a, a strong interest in not having those who are incompetent being forced to undergo a criminal trial. So while the um, scrutiny of his mental health took a long time, it took a long time because this was a complicated case involving a variety of very difficult facts and evaluations. Counsel, didn't it take uh, uh, two commitments to the attorney general to, to restore his competency? That's correct, Your Honor. The um, district court um, made a number of efforts to ascertain. Uh, is, is there any authority for not excluding that? I don't think I'm so. Sorry. I'm well, sorry. I... That, that, that time is, would clearly be excluded, wouldn't it? I don't know under what subsection, but I can't imagine the Speedy Trial Act would, would count that. Time, the time it takes to restore a charged person's competency to stand trial. I see. So if I understand Your Honor's question, you're, you're asking if the Speedy Trial Act deals with individuals who are found to be incompetent and the time it takes to restore their competency. Right. Yes, that's not specifically um, mentioned in the Speedy Trial Act, although you may um, interpret it as being subsumed in um, delay resulting from any proceeding, including examinations, to determine the mental competency. And so um, while the um, restoration process isn't mentioned in the Act, um, I don't find any authority, uh, we haven't found any authority that would uh, say that it, the restoration process can't be considered as um, part of uh, subsection H1A of the Speedy Trial Act. In this case, Your Honor, um, the uh, delay, again, uh, fits well with the intent of the Speedy Trial Act itself. The public, again, has no interest in having someone who is mentally unfit or incapable of assisting in his own defense to be tried. And the uh, statements on the record by the defendant make clear that he was not, at that time, capable of proceeding um, in a way that would be acceptable to this court or the public. Um, with respect to the... Um, the joinder of co-defendants, which was also raised by defense counsel in this case. There was one superseding indictment, which simply added a, a small number of additional defendants. This was not the kind of dilatory conduct um, or um, stratagems to try to delay the case. In fact, the district court all found all to the contrary and described the, the government as diligent and continually preparing for trial in this case. And the record supports that. Every time a trial date was set or a pretrial conference was set, their government was ready to proceed. Um, the government filed its pretrial motions at the appropriate time and even took the extraordinary step of filing two motions to ask the district court to calculate the number of speedy trial days in this case. So in conclusion, unless the court has any other questions related to that issue, I'll rest on the briefs. We ask the court to affirm all of the rulings of the district court with respect to this appeal, um, and we rest on our briefs. Counsel, counsel I, Judge Loken, I, I'm just reflecting on the on whether, since the Speedy Trial Act is is silent as to this competency time, isn't there? It strikes me there ought to be a pretty good argument that the clock doesn't begin 
until the competency has been restored. Your Honor, that's certainly a, a strong argument because an individual who's not competent um, should not be, um, again, forced to can't, participate. Can't be, can't be prosecuted. Certainly. They, they can't be, as your, as your Honor correctly states. Um, so that's certainly one way to approach it um, if the, the language of the statute is not sufficient. Thank you, Ms. Buzicki. Mr. Yes, Agley, your rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, starting with that third issue, since it's fresh in our discussion here, I think, um, you know, Mr. Lagones, Flores Lagones was uh, ultimately found competent. And, you know, I don't think the government can rightfully say that he was being restored to competency because um, the final uh, evaluator said, well, he wasn't really, uh, you know, he didn't really have a mental health problem. It was that he became indoctrinated while he was in the jail with these ideas about sovereign citizenship and these pseudo-legal arguments. And I think that combined with his, um, I guess, his... Uh, uh, light grasp on the English language, what contributed to the to the idea that he was incompetent to stand trial when that wasn't the case, and so um, he wasn't being restored during that time because he never was actually incompetent, and that's what the final evaluation says. Uh, um, and I think you know it's just a it's just a miscarriage of justice to have somebody sitting in in the jail for years and years and years because people don't understand what he's saying and you know he's got these strange beliefs but he's not mentally ill um and then to move on to the you know the attempt of uh, the the first issue um i think the stop the attempted stop initiated the entire sequence and i think if uh the the supreme court has said that unprovoked flight is an act of evasion they never said that provoked flight was um, and, and it's important to remember that police were looking for a white pickup truck and they singled out my client because he was the only other Hispanic man in the parking lot. And I think that's very problematic um, and, you know, a violation of his rights. Um, and and as, as far as the uh, second issue, there is in the transcripts one police officer, at least one officer said that all the officers were wearing tactical gear with police on it, and that's uh, in the district court document 618 um, at uh, uh, 39 and 40. Thank you, Mr. Hagler. Court wishes to thank both counsel for your participation in arguments this morning. Uh, we appreciate how you have uh, helped clarify the issues in the matter and uh, we will take the case under advisement.